Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. Writer Gretchen Rubin is widely known as an expert on happiness and good habits, but few know that she actually started her career in law. At Yale, she was the editor of the Law Review, and then she clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court. Until one day, and she talks about it in our conversation, Gretchen came to an important conclusion about her life. It was time to move off this path, and she would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So... That's exactly what she did, except for the failing part. Gretchen has authored five New York Times bestsellers, including The Happiness Project, um, and that was how I was first introduced to Gretchen years ago, and more recently, The Four Tendencies, which we ended up talking a lot about. Um, FYI, I am a questioner with a tip to rebel, and Gretchen tells me that Steve Jobs was too, so I'm basically like a genius. Um, you can learn more about how you can figure out your tendency in the episode. Gretchen's also the co-host of the Happier Podcast. She's an experienced speaker. She's a wife. She's a mom. Keep in mind, the Washington Post called Gretchen Type A+. So you might not want to attempt to keep up with this one. It's Gretchen Rubin for No Time to Waste. Okay, what listeners don't know is that while I was hoping to kind of get to know Gretchen and, you know, sort of like ease her into the podcast and like have her feel a slight connection to me somehow. I wanted to talk about being in New York next week or in a couple of weeks. And uh, you know, I had all these plans and instead what just happened, Gretchen? <laughs> and, well, and it's mutual. It's, it's a mutual uh, we, you know, technology is great when it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that we both showed resourcefulness. Um, the mistake, the, the problem is on my end, but we figured out a workaround, but it, it took some time, but I feel that we've grown closer through I do. that process. Allison, I feel like I now, you know, sometimes, um, having to figure out a problem together is the quickest way to feel like you're, you, you've made a friend. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving Gretchen the thumbs up. And I feel like this could have just been a quick, you know, five minute episode of uh, the uh, the happiness uh, or the happier podcast, which <laughs> I love because sometimes they're interviews with people and they're longer. But I also really like your format of like, sometimes it's three minutes. Sometimes it's eight minutes. Like sometimes right. they're just little, little snips of stuff. So. Yes. Yeah, so every Monday I do a little happier, which is just a story that I tell that's just like three minutes long. And then every Wednesday, my sister and co-host and I do a whole 30, 40 minute episode. Yeah. So we have something for the people who like just a little bit of something. And then some people mm -hmm. who want like a real, a real, you know, podcast episode to listen to. You are, I, I think it was the Washington Post said that you you are a, a type A plus. Um, <laughs> Gretchen, you are uh, known as sort of an expert on happiness and good habits. Uh, you are a five time 
New York Times bestselling author. Uh, you're a podcast host with a wildly successful podcast. And I love the format, like in making sure that you meet the needs of kind of all different types of listeners. Um, and you're a speaker, but a lot of people might not know that you actually started your career in law. Yes. And clerking for you. I mean, you were editor of the the Yale Law Review. You clerked for uh, Sandra Day O'Connor uh, on the Supreme Court. Um, but I've heard you talk about that transition from law to writing ad nauseum. Um, I have been really enjoying uh, listening to interviews that you've done, especially recently. Um, and, you know, I, on this show, I like to talk about different stuff. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. <laughs> but I would like to talk, if it's okay with you, a little bit about who you are, not as that you know, former editor of the Law Review or the clerk for Justice O'Connor. Um, but I want to talk to to Gretchen Rubin, who is uh, a wife and a mom um, and a Midwesterner, mm-hmm. now Upper East Sider, um, mm-hmm. and dig in a bit, challenge a bit, um, some of the heady and impressive work that you've kind of accumulated over your career and and find out some of the driving motivations, like w- where some of it came from. Um, Great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're yeah. in. You're in. Bring I it on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, you know, keep in mind, I have that badass scar. It didn't come from an emergency uh, craniotomy. It came from uh, a crazy street fight I got into last week. <laughs> you should see the other guy. Um, <laughs> so... There's so much I want to talk to you about. Like I want to talk, I do want to talk about the four tendencies and I want to talk about the fact that I am, um, you know, a questioner with a little rebel. Um, Yeah. Uh huh. I'm a big, so I have Steve Jobs, you know, really that was was him. Yeah. Questioner who tipped a rebel. Yep. Interesting. How, now, how do you, how do you determine, uh, someone's tendency if they are no longer alive? Well, it's really hard and I rarely do speculate on on people because you don't you can't look at what someone does. You have to understand why they do what they do. So I read like four big biographies, I think like two major biographies of Steve Jobs and then like a lot of articles where he talked about why he did what he did. And so I can't absolutely say because of course only he truly knows. But I feel like just like looking at patterns over time, to me it seems pretty clear that um that that's that's uh, what was what was his makeup and that sort of explains um the way what he said and what he did and how he explained himself but cool. you're right i rarely do that i'll do it with game of thrones characters or <laughs> movie characters because there's not a real person but right. um yeah i rarely do it for real people but sometimes you can really tell that's fine you're like calling me a genius and like i'm yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course Totally into it. Um, and if anybody is like, what the heck are they talking about? So the four tendencies is one of uh, Gretchen's, you know, as I as I said, many New York Times bestsellers uh, came out a couple of years ago. Um, and it essentially, in a very smartly packaged way, takes uh, kind of your, uh, h- how you respond to expectations, yes. right? Both 
inner expectations, you know, where you set uh, a New Year's resolution for yourself or you say, I'm going to I'd like I had one that was like, I'm going to meditate for 30 days in a row um, or whatever it is. Those are inner expectations and outer expectations would be, um, you know, I uh, am going to be accountable to this friend of mine and we're going to go to the gym every day for 30 days, or we're going to go for a run, um, you know, once a week for the the next quarter. I don't want to spend too much time on this because you can just take the quiz at uh, quiz.gretchenrubin.com. It's awesome. It takes 10 minutes. Uh, It's free. And how many, uh, there's millions of people that have taken the quiz? Yeah, more than three and a half million people have taken the quiz now. Whoa, that's crazy. So you can take it and you'll learn whether or not you are an upholder, um, an obliger, uh, a rebel, or a questioner. Questioner, essentially, I resist the outer um, and I resist the inner. No, you meet the inner. Oh, I meet the inner. Yeah, questioner, if if something makes sense to them... Um, then they'll do it. They don't like anything unjustified or irrational or arbitrary. Right. And I so will ask questions. Inner. Yeah. And I annoy people because I will ask questions until the answer makes sense to me. Uh-huh. That uh-huh. is, <laughs> you, you have summed up the questioner tendency in a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. But I also have a bit of a rebel in me, which is basically like, don't tell me what to do. And then mm-hmm. also inside, I'll make my own rules for myself and I'll tell myself, Hey, self, don't tell me what to do. I do what right. I want. <laughs> yeah. you know? So that's a there, that's tricky in there. But I I uh, I think I yeah I, I am a questioner um, dominant by far. Um, but anyway, I would encourage everybody to check it out. It's awesome. Um, and then you can read the book, The Four Tendencies. You can learn more about um, how to kind of manage yourself, and also how I think. Um, you know, uh, the uh, you can improve your relationships and your communication with other people that you work with, with people that you might be married or partnered up with, um, with your kids. If you understand how they operate in this very simple model, um, it's going to help you set them up for success and set each other up for success. So um, did I, uh, screw anything up there? With no, the that was excellent. No. And I think that's one of the things that I like best about the four tendencies is it really does help people just deal with each other more effectively and with more compassion, because once you understand why somebody's responding to something differently from the way you would do it, and you're like, why this makes no sense. Or like, why can't you just deal with this? Right. Um, once you understand your tendency, it's like, oh, there's a very clear pattern. And now I see what we need, how we can like, address it in a very, usually very straightforward way. So um, good. Yes. Well done, questioner. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I got to know you, Gretchen, through the Happiness Project from uh, now a number of years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And it was not your first book. And it's one of those things where it's like that, I think you talked about it in one of your recent interviews. It's like the, oh, the overnight success. Like, where'd she come from? And you're like, yeah. um, no, I've been at this for quite a long time. And yeah. it's been a journey. And that was actually, I'm a 10-year overnight success. You've described many times kind of that transition in your, I'm sure, 20s um, from law to giving writing a go full time. And the way that you've described it is I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. 
Can you describe kind of the feeling of knowing? Like, was there a knowingness? Well, for me, it was interesting because I had an experience, and I think a lot of people experience this, certainly a lot of writers experience this, but people in many different um, occupations, where you feel like very compelled to do something. So I was working as a lawyer, I was clerking for Justice O'Connor, and I got an idea um, for a subject that I was really interested in. Um, mm -hmm. I asked myself, what am I interested in that everybody in the world is interested in? And I thought, power, money, fame, sex. And all of a sudden, I just became completely preoccupied. And this is something that happens to me a lot. Mm -hmm. I will get some idea in my head. I'll think about color or I'll think about the apocalypse or I'll think about <laughs> um, perfume or whatever and I, or happiness. And I become intensely interested in it. And I start reading and writing about it and uh, like taking tons and tons of notes and often for no purpose that, you know, is discernible at the time. This is just something that I do. And so I was doing that, and but this got way bigger than anything I had ever experienced before like this, where I was just reading all the time, taking notes all the time, you know, I was staying late at work, I was working on the weekends, just creating these giant documents of notes and to myself and kind of, you know, uh, research and anecdotes and things. And then finally, it occurred to me, this is the kind of thing a person would do if they were going to write a book. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, maybe I could write a book. And then the desire to write that book was so overwhelming that I, I really almost feel like I had no power to resist. It's funny. I was just listening yesterday. You're to the you're the abstainer, not yeah. the moderator, right? Yes. And, um, yeah. and how you talk about being just overwhelmed where you're like, I am powerless to this urge to keep it's how I am with asking questions and digging and yeah. it's how you were when you were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're someone I would love to talk to for a really long time and, and um, get into all the stuff and, and basically say, what are you obsessed with right now? And let's mm. get obsessed about it together. And is it difficult for you to get into an emotional space where you are feeling as opposed to thinking about your feelings. Mm. I think this, I think this, the, the challenge for me is more to be in my body and like not to feel absent-minded and disconnected and kind of just lost in my own experience, like emotionally, intellectually, but like to feel engaged in the world. Mm -hmm. And my next book is all about the five senses because I'm like, I need to deal with this. Like, I just feel like, Sometimes I'm overstimulated, sometimes I'm understimulated, I'm numbed out, but maybe I'm kind of like overly wired and jacked up and I just need to find a way to re-engage with, with color, with scent, with texture. Mm -hmm. Like now I'm so interested in texture. Um, so I think, so one of the things I do is when I notice something like that in myself, then I go off and write a book about it. <laughs> I'm like, I need to get better at forming habits. Why don't I write a book about habits so I can spend a couple of years just thinking about it? Um, so that's kind of the advantage of of using myself as my own guinea pig is that um, I can pick a project that's, uh, you know, research is me search. And um, so um, I haven't noticed it so much with emotions, as you said, but more with kind of physical experiences and the and the kind of the the present moment, I would say, is my challenge. Yeah. And how do you personally get into that sort of somatic place mm. of, you know, my yoga instructor says, you know, keep your mind with your body. Mm -hmm. Like, How do you keep your mind, which, which moves so quickly, mm -hmm. right? Um, how do you keep your mind running that fast with your body? Because I'm, I'm working on it. 
Yeah, no, I, I think it's a it's a really great challenge and it's something that I work on all the time, but partly just by paying attention to it, I really have gotten much better at just like, wow, look at the color of the sky or look at how the underside of the leaves look to be a different color than the top of the leaves or, oh, I what is that smell? Like, where's that? I'm in a park and I smell flowers, but I don't see flowers. What What is, where is that flowery smell coming from? Or with a texture to really... I've just become, and I just let myself have those feelings. So like I went to a friend's house the other day and her mother, her grandmother had given her an old sable coat, like a 60 year old fur coat. Well, she's not going to wear a fur coat. So she took it to some guy, no, this is New York city. There's some guy who does everything and had (laughs) it lined and to make, to be made into a throw. And so it was just like this throw over her sofa in her living room. And of course it was beautiful. Like what is more beautiful than fur? And I just let myself do what I wanted, which, you know, as a child, you're told, don't touch, don't touch. And I like went over there. I just started stroking, like putting <laughs> my hand against the spur for like 10 minutes. I'm like, this is amazing. I had never really felt a fur coat or a sable before. I, I don't and you're know like stone cold sober. No. Yeah. But I'm just like, this is amazing. <laughs> Tell me what is the story behind this thing? So she comes over, she tells me how she had it, you know, and. And um, her grandmother's all excited because somebody's really using this code. It's not just, you know, and uh, and she's she was worried. She thinks, do you think that I'm making I'm making people think that fur is good? I'm like, well, this fur is already in existence. You're just repurposing it. Um, But like, I don't think that before I had started work on this book, I don't think I would have I think I would have held myself back from the desire Mm -hmm. to feel it. It sort of feels a little bit illicit that you just go and like feel someone's blanket. Yeah. but realize, and then really noticing it, not just absentmindedly putting my hand against it while I was talking to a friend, but really saying like, wow, what is the quality of this fur? How does this feel different from other textures? Like, how does this, you know, what what if I go run my hand one way instead of the other? And really notice it and the beautiful colors. I mean, fur, it's just the variegation in the color like that you get in nature where there's just this richness and depth of a color that you, like in a, you know, in a flower petal, you see such this this graceful variation in color that you know is is it just it's extraordinary when you just stop and look at it and appreciate it mm-hmm. so i think just by spending so much time making the effort to notice it and think about it and think about the brain and think about the body and just the, the reverence i now feel for like the extraordinary things that our bodies do um but I have to work on it every, every day because before I know it, I'm like lost in my head and walking around banging into a light pole because, uh, you know, I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, man, I run into something like once a day now. Right. Yeah. No, no like literally. I'm... And then I'll, I'll hear from upstairs. You okay? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So, you know, you, you are a woman of multitudes. Um, I would love to know what what do you find challenging right now? And I say right now because I believe that someone like you, at least that, that you've talked about, you are uh, on a constant quest to uh, for for kind of betterment and and that could be defined by um, so many different things. but uh, you're not someone that I suspect is standing still in your evolution. Um, and I'd love to know what what are some of your challenges today? Well, one challenge, like it, it's it's a funny challenge because and it's but it's strangely, I think, a challenge that a lot of people feel, which is there's something that I love to do and is good for me. And yet somehow it's very hard to to like keep it uppermost. 
So I love to read. I've ever since I learned to read, I have loved to read. It's my cubicle, it's my sandbox, it's my treehouse. Um, I love to read and I read a lot. I think people say to me, I read all the time. And yet I feel like I don't have enough time to read. And I have so many things I have to read for research that I have like books that I want to read or like, uh, you know, I'm trying, I found a new author. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, now I want to read everything by this author or, you know, just one thing or another. There's some policy that I'm really interested in, you know, or some historical figure that I'm like, wow, I'm so curious. And, um, but like the last period, I feel like I just haven't, I like, and I, I should do this thing where you do time tracking, um, where you really like keep track of your hours. A, a questioner like you might, might enjoy that because often questioners like sort of customization and getting data. Um, uh, but, but, you're, I, but don't should, don't should all over right, yourself. Right, right, right. But it's like many people think that time tracking gives them insight and I have never been able to bear to do that. But, um, but that is a challenge for me because it's so, it's something that I, that I value so much and yet it's always kind of at the risk of get, being crowded out. So then when I start to notice that it is getting crowded out, I try to catch myself and be like, okay, like let's do a course correction now and figure it out. Um, why might that be? So that's like something that I always am thinking about. The explanation of what no time to waste is, is sort of the roadmap on how to live a life with more meaning and intention and no time to waste for any listener that it, is new here um, is all about confronting mortality, which I'd like to talk about, um, you know, crafting a life without regret and maximizing moments based on the things I think that are most important, gratitude, human connection, and joy. Like you follow those steps, you live every 24 hour period with that in mind, with those things in mind you will find yourself the days piling on top of the days, the weeks on top of the weeks on top of the months, and you will find yourself living a different type of life, right? And, but all we have, every single one of us, mm -hmm. we've got 24 hours, mm -hmm. right? We have today. That's it. That's mm -hmm. it. So now I am more motivated than ever to get the word out with the hope of sparing people who don't have a situation like mine or haven't gone through a traumatic loss or grief, an opportunity to potentially make changes without suffering that kind of trauma. And I don't know yet if, I don't know if that's possible. Do you think that's possible? Well, I think you know it better than others can, but I do think that people can learn from each other. And when you're, you can sort of be the guide that says, this is given like my extreme circumstances, this is what is now clear to me that's kind of fogged up for you and kind of the, all the minutia of day to day. And I think people really do pay attention. I, you know, can they live up to it really? I don't know that I could, I can or do, but I, but I think people really do try to learn. Mm -hmm. I think they want to learn. Um, I wrote down that you said in one interview that one of the best ways to be happier is to help other people. Mm -hmm. And I believe that because that's what I'm getting out of these, this podcast now. It, it's no much. I, I pay for it. <laughs> I don't take advertisers. And I am very precious with the people that I 
request to talk to um, or bring on the show. But it's the messages that I get from people like all over the world and the highly personal messages of how No Time to Waste has has had a massive impact on their relationships, on their career decisions, on their happiness. Um, and or it's helped them to navigate a recent loss um, of someone close to them dying or navigating someone going through that later stage and stage of life. Um, and I'm getting so much out of it selfishly, like, like by helping other people, right? It is, it is the thing that makes me one of the things that makes me the most happiest. Well, I think one thing that is frustrating to many people is that they have suffered something and they do want to share their, they want to spare others or they want to, they want to turn their suffering to, to, to use. They want to make something valuable of it by teaching others or helping Mm -hmm. others, but not everyone has a gift that can allow them to do that effectively. And I think that, I think people feel sad sometimes when they want to do that, Mm -hmm. um, to transform suffering through meaning. And it's not clear to them how to do that. Um, And I think, you know, you have found a way to transform your own suffering through meaning and like to reach others. And so, um, and that's a very profound thing. So um, I, I, I would think it would it, it would be a very transcendent feeling to think that. I mean, and this is one of the examples of like, you know, people always often talk about all the negatives that we can get from technology. And you and I experience some of the negatives and frustrations <laughs> that can come from technology. But this is a way that you can reach people all over the world. Yeah. Uh, every time zone, every language, everybody can find their way to you who want, who's interested in what you're talking about and wants to hear what you have to say. And so in a way, that's, a, that, that's also a way that everyone can come together um, yeah. You know, they say that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I bet for a lot of people, they're like cruising around the internet looking for something and they don't even know what. And then they find you. And um, like, that's a moment of connection. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know that it's happening until they email you three days later, Mm -hmm. um, it's real and it's powerful. So that's, that's a great thing. It is. I feel, um, I feel really like I say, I'm so unlucky. (laughs) I've hit on like all the negative odds, like all all Mm. of, I just, I mean, yes, breast cancer under 40. Yes. uh, You know, triple negative breast cancer, which only Mm. affects 15%, which has the least amount of treatment options. And you would think triple negative sounds like it would be good in the context of cancer, but it is. I wrote a blog post about that um, years ago when that happened, because yes, I basically, through tears, was like, you have to rebrand this at least yeah. because I was like, that just like, I was finally like, finally negatives, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I hope this is giving a voice to, it's giving a voice to my own suffering um, so that it becomes worthwhile, you know, Rabbi Steve Leader, whom I've um, gotten to know as a result of this podcast, says, you know, don't come out of hell empty handed. Mm, wow. Right. So I'm like, what? hell oh, yeah. I'm writing that down. Write it down. Rabbi Steve Leader. He, uh, 
he's a fantastic writer. He he wrote uh, the Beauty of What Remains um, was his most recent book. Yeah, um, I've heard of that. You mentioned at one point one of my favorite quotes uh, is by Thoreau. You know, I I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, which was in uh, Dead po- I I remember it from Dead Poet Society um, uh, when I was from young. Walden, I believe. Uh, yes, that's very much how I'm living right now. I think I've always lived like that, but now it is like more heightened, yeah. um, and it is very much. I'm I'm just looking at a sea of photos in front of me that no one else can see. That's just some amazing moments that I've had since getting the terminal cancer diagnosis, reminding me that like the good times are not over. Like I'm mm-hmm. not dying. Um, and I'm sucking all the marrow out of life, you know, as I've always said, I want to do. Um, mm. How do you, how do you suck the marrow out of life and, and live like there's no time to waste? What does that look like for Gretchen Rubin? I think, I think my five senses book is about that. Just sort of like, just to, just to capture the wonder of the beauty of ordinary life and the Mm -hmm. everyday. I don't have a good memory of my past. um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm always trying to find ways to hang on to memories and to make, and to like appreciate what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, You know, I always say like the days are long, but the years are short. And I feel like, uh, you know, I want to make sure that I really sort of experience every season of life and really like, don't, I don't want to, just think, oh, I just, what happened to that? Like, where did that go? I didn't pay any attention. I was just, you know, um, distracted from everything that was happening. So, which, because I love to read, it's funny because reading is one kind of experience and it's an extremely valuable kind of experience and a kind of experience that I love, but Mm -hmm. it's also a very disembodied experience. And so Mm -hmm. I have to like, get more reading, but then I'll get also get the more the opposite of reading, like go for a walk in Central Park and like smell mm-hmm. it and hear it and see it and mm-hmm. uh, feel it. Um, so that's what I do is just like constantly in a very kind of ordinary way. It's just part of my ordinary life. Try to discipline myself to that. Which is that, I mean, that's, that's what we're all trying to find, right? Um, we're running up on time. I have one last thing that I'd love to bring up, if you don't mind. Um, it, there was, a, I think, a little happier podcast that you did two weeks ago when you were talking about Ann Patchett. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't mind, I I just want to read. Do you mind if I just read from sure. the transcript? So sure. uh, Ann Patchett's memoir, Truth and Beauty, a friendship about her enduring friendship with her friend, the writer and poet Lucy Greeley. Near the end of her life, Lucy Greeley was struggling with depression and, addic- and addiction. And Ann Patchett describes how she tried to help. I figured even if I couldn't make Lucy deeply happy... I could provide the kind of happiness that would seem hollow if we had the money or the time to stay in it for too long. I booked Lucy a massage and had her eyelashes dyed. I took her for a pedicure. I bought her the best pate I could find in Nashville, along with SpaghettiOs and Hungry Jack biscuits and everything else I knew she liked. We went to a bad movie, and then we stayed for a second bad movie. I took her shopping, and I bought her whatever she wanted. And she was happy, and I was happy. And as Anne Patchett points out, these kinds of activities would seem hollow if we pursued them for too long. And yet it's also true that our bodies and our senses can be a source of profound comfort. 
I, I just, that just resonated with me because that's how I'm living my life right now. And I'm so lucky and grateful to have people in my life um, who come and visit or I meet somewhere. Um, and that's basically what they do with me. They shower me with love and they tell me, they, they engage the, the rebel and say, you get to do whatever you want. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. You know? Yeah. And they, they, watch bad movies with me and you know we go shopping for dumb stuff and um we watch you know the bad movies and eat the the hunger jack biscuits and yeah and and it's it, it it would be the things i'm doing with my life now would be silly if if we had more time if i had more time um but because my time is short we're all just living every day like it's our last. And uh, I don't know that, that, that Ann Patchett snippet just, just got me. The whole book is so beautiful. I, I really recommend it to you and to your, and to your listeners. Um, Truth and beauty. It's yeah. um, I love everything that Ann Patchett writes, but I think that's my favorite of her works. Yeah. Um. Is there anything else, anything else you want to share that you feel like we haven't hit on? I feel like you've covered a lot of ground. You've gone to a very transcendent place, Allison. I'm trying. It's my Harry Potter scar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you really want to maximize your moments, you could pitch in and help us get the word out. Just rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That's it. Oh, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss future episodes and bonus content. For more motivation, head to notimetowasteproject.com or join the squad on Instagram at notimetowasteproject. Grazie mille.